Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Our guest this week needs no introduction, but you know him from his college football color commentary on ESPN and ABC. He's an analyst on ESPN's College Game Day. He's brought to you by Goodyear. He's Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, how are you? Doing great. How are you? We're great, Kirk. The recent Alabama-Clemson series has been a tale of two tales with the memorable national championship games in 15 and 16, then Alabama kind of cruising to a win in the Sugar Bowl last season. Do you expect this game to mirror the Sugar Bowl or revert back and be more comparable to the first two matchups? I think it's more like the first two matchups. You know, I, I, Who knows who's going to win, but I think those two games, you, you had a lot of offense. You, you had back-and-forth action. Uh, that first one, people forget. I mean, it, that was incredible um, to be able to see that one. And then, of course, Clemson was able to, to take care of business and Deshaun Watson, Hunter Renfro. But I, I think it'll be a great game. I, I think uh, it'll be competitive. I think there would be some, some points where, you know, you're, you're seeing two really talented quarterbacks and talented offenses um, go after these defenses. And I think at the end of the day, whichever defense does a better job of affecting the other quarterback probably will be the team that, it ends up getting the edge and probably winning the game. Hey, Kirk, Brad Canning here. Thanks for joining us. And looking at the matchup Monday night, I have to think the key to this game is going to come down in the trenches of the matchup between Alabama's offensive line and Clemson's defensive line. Yeah, I mean, everybody's talking a lot about Quinn Pearl uh, going up against Jonah Williams on that left side and how the Mel Kuypers of the world are going to be using that as, as video to get ready for the draft. <laughs> uh, you're talking about a heck of a matchup. But you're right in general, even without Dexter Lawrence, that Clemson defensive line. Think, go back and think about last year when, when they ended up losing in the playoffs to Alabama. and Everyone just assumed that, uh, that, that they probably all would declare and go into the NFL draft. And instead, uh, I can remember when that story started to, to permeate, I was shocked when they started to say, I'm coming back. And then when they started to come out and say, I'm coming back, you know, with a chance, we have unfinished business, we want to go win the championship. And ironically, you know, in the back of their minds, they were thinking about trying to get another shot at Alabama after losing to them, and now they've got that chance, and uh, now they're going to have to go out and and try to win it. So uh, that's a great matchup, you're right. And specifically, I think Jonah on that left side against uh, Quinn Furrow will be a a, a really big matchup when, uh, when Tua drops back to throw. We've kind of seen some trying to push a narrative we, we don't think is even close to existing, and that's that another Clemson-Alabama matchup is bad for college football. After the first two games being some of the most exciting national championship games in recent memory, I can't understand the logic behind that. What are your thoughts on that narrative? I, I just don't agree with it. I, I think if you're a college football fan, you know, and you're a fan of whoever, Georgia, Florida State, Texas, Ohio State, USC, whoever you're a fan of, it's college football. Uh, it's a championship. It's the two best teams. It's two really talented quarterbacks and a tremendous amount of skill around those quarterback positions. Two great defenses. There's a reason these teams are in this game. It just so happens they're playing for the fourth time. But it is what it is. And, and uh, until people are able to compete with them and recruit with them and develop like these teams are developing and, and are able to beat them, um, you know, you you can maybe put your bias aside and just sit back and, and watch the game. Like, you never hear this in the NFL. You never hear this in college basketball. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's somewhat petty for fans that have that view. Um, I don't think it's boring at all. It's new faces, new names. It's not Deshaun Watson's not playing for Clemson. You know, it's not like when Golden State would play the Cavs and it was LeBron and Curry mm-hmm. every time in the, in the NBA. These are new faces, new 
Trevor Lawrence didn't play against Alabama last year. So it's it's diff- completely different storylines. Happens to be the same two teams, same fan bases, and same head coaches. But a lot of other a lot of the other pieces have changed. So, Kirk, uh, following the conference championship weekend, uh, that two-and-a-half-week span or so leading up to the semifinal games, there was a lot of talk about expanding the college football playoff. You know, let's get the teams in so we know we got the best teams in it. And, of course, the semifinal games went the way they did. The two best teams are obviously going to play for the national championship Monday night. And, ironically, too, the conversation about expanding the playoffs kind of pumped the brakes. Um, But I wanted to get your opinion. Do you think it's realistic that sometime in the next five to six years we could see the playoff expand past four? teams I, I i don't think so i mean i, I everybody i talk to the, the powers to be who are involved in those decisions they're willing to have open dialogue but i don't think going to eight right now is, is realistic or being talked about very seriously i i personally wouldn't mind seeing the bowl games go back to being more traditional uh going away from necessarily just, you know the rankings and and then on the back end of the bowls, maybe we pick two or four teams and and play it out after the bowl games. I think that way you would keep the the uh, int- intrigue and interest in the bowl games. And as we saw this year, I mean, look at the teams that lost up in the top ten. Um, you know, you never know who would end up being the teams they would select after the bowl games are played. So I would like to see that happen and, and go away from talking all this, always talking about expanding this to four to, to eight to six, whatever it might be. I'd rather get back to the tradition of the sport. Do you think there's anything to be made long-term out of what we're seeing with the ticket prices and the potential empty seats for the national championship game on Monday night? No. I, I think that has probably more to do with um, the location than, than uh, the fact that these teams are getting together again. If this game were being played in Atlanta like last year or if this were in New Orleans, or you know somewhere where it was much easier to get to, I think it would it would be kind of what we've seen over the last uh, four years. I think uh, Santa Clara was well, a beautiful city, and I think it's going to be a great setting. Um, I think it's a little bit uh, more challenging and demanding on fans that have gone to a conference championship game, have gone to a semifinal game, and now being asked to go all the way out to Santa Clara. I think everybody probably had to make some decisions. So we'll see. It's, we're not even to Monday night. I still think we're going to have an electric atmosphere, and I think it'll be, uh, if it's not sold out, I think I, I still think it'll be sold out. Um, I think some of that is kind of tied into, as you say, the social media talking, uh, that narrative talking about how people are tired or fatigued of this matchup. I think I think people are just kind of pushing that out there as well. So uh, we're on our way to Claire now, and, and we're expecting uh, a lot of buzz. Looking forward to it. So, Kirk, I wanted to throw you a curveball here and get your opinion on what storyline do you think is going to dominate the college football offseason this year, albeit college football can change in a moment's time. But as of today, what do you think that storyline is going to be? Um, I think it depends on who wins this game. You know, I, I think uh, if Alabama wins it, it's, I mean, think about all the championships that Nick Saban has won. And I, I keep saying I think next year's team could be stronger than this year's team. I know they lose some players, but they lose players every year. As long as two is back, uh, that team is going to be, I think, more dangerous offensively than they were this year. That young defense is going to grow up, even though they lose some great players up front. Um, So I think that will be talked about Alabama and Nick Saban and the dynasty if they're able to win. I think that will be a lot of the talk. And Can anybody ever knock off Alabama? 
Um, and then you have if Clemson's able to win that game, then I think there's going to be a lot of talk about. Um, you know, I think I think that, that game a lot of times creates a lot of buzz and, and interest. And then there's always the who's who's going to be able to stay up with those two teams? Is Texas with Tom Herman? You know, after their big win over Georgia, are, are they closing the gap? What's going on with Lincoln Riley, who just signed a long-term contract? Um, you know, how about Ohio State with Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer? So I think it's I think it's uh, all of these things are going to be relevant. And I think a lot of it could be regionally talked about, but uh, I think on a on a big scale, we'll find out who wins Monday, which I think will decide ultimately uh, what what people are upset about or excited about in the off season. All right, Kirk. So we saw today the news that the iconic Goodyear blimp is going to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the blimp is going to be the first non-player or coach uh, to be inducted into the college, college Football Hall of Fame. So I want to get your thoughts on you know what this means for not only the game of college football, but you know for people like you who have played the game, who's an ambassador for the sport, so to speak, and you know just how special of a moment this actually is. You know, it's it, it, it's really a, a huge opportunity for Goodyear, first non-player or coach to receive the enshrinement. Um, and for me personally, you know, as a fan, first of all, the youngster going to the big college football games, seeing the blimp, you always knew it was a huge game. And uh, you know, when you're playing, in my case at Ohio State, and you look up, you see the blimp. You know, it's, it's always a, a big matchup because the blimp doesn't show up at every game; it shows up at the big games. And we used to get excited about that. And now to come full circle and be a broadcaster and to have games where on ABC every week, you know, we're lucky enough to have that, that uh, perspective and, and view from, from uh, over top. It's, it's been special. And when they asked me to be a part of this, of course I was excited. And it's amazing to think that uh, the Goodyear Blimp has been around since going back all the way to the 1955 Rose Bowl, over 64 years and 2,000 college football games. So I think it's very deserving, and, and I think it's very cool of the National Football Foundation and the College Football Hall of Fame to to put the uh, the blimp uh, into the uh, into the Hall of Fame. I think it's cool. It's definitely well deserved to be the first non coach, non player in the Hall of Fame. And with that, Kirk, we want to wish you safe travels to Santa Clara. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yes, sir. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, Kirk Herbstreet, before we move on, I, I just want everyone to know how giddy Brad was to make that <laughs> make that phone call to Kirk. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I, I get goosebumps now. I mean, that was uh, everyone looks forward to certain things in life, uh, and uh, that's one of those things I can cross off the bucket list now. Uh, we really appreciate Goodyear, you know, setting up the interview with Kirk Herbstreet and him taking the time to to join us this week, and we look forward to, uh, you know, seeing what he uh, what he has on the call this Monday night. I want to catch you off guard just a little bit here. This okay. is this is a topic I want to touch on after Monday night, and it's something I'll put a little more thought into if it actually comes to fruition. But I want to get your initial reaction to the question. If Alabama beats Clemson, is this definitively the greatest Alabama football team in the history of the university? No. No? No, I don't think it is. I don't think it's Nick Saban's best team he's ever had. Okay, interesting. I mean, if you look at it in the stance of accolades going 15-0, and 0, I mean, that it would take the crown there. But if you look at overall dominance and what it, it had over, you know, as an entire team, coaching staff, everything, I think the 2011 or 12 team, I would put personally being biased higher than this team if they win Monday night, unless they go out there and they beat the hell out of them by 30 <laughs> points. You know, then that's a little bit different. Like I said, I'll put more thought into it, you know, once I have a minute to, to reflect, assuming they win. The 2011 team, it's hard for 
me to – like, I, I think that was maybe Nick Saban's best team. And that was maybe my favorite team of mm-hmm. his because they were just so dominant on defense. But they lost a game. Mm, this is true. But, I mean, it was to a team that uh, analysts were saying could potentially have been the greatest team of all time before they lost the national championship game to Alabama, but that you have to take that loss into account. No, I agree. It's funny because going undefeated uh, and claiming or winning a national championship, though, does not get you automatically into that conversation. One of the greatest teams of all time, period, because uh, I have not heard that over the last year with UCF. Uh, however, I think we will hear that with Alabama if they win Monday night. Yeah, no. But so to me, it's interesting that you say it is not the greatest Alabama team of all time when a lot of people are asking, is this the greatest team of all time? Oh, no. no. Yeah. So, so you're not on board with that at all. No, I can certainly make a case for it being Alabama's greatest team of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, hell, they can literally put zero yards and zero points up on the board with Clemson on Monday, and they're still going to break yards per play, uh, yards per game records that they set in 14 and points per game records they set in 14 mm-hmm. on offense. The game of college football is completely different, you know, but I still I, I don't think this team would beat some of the legendary teams in college football history. So gotcha. that's just my opinion. That is maybe not the answer that I was expecting to hear. Because yeah. my, my initial reaction would be yes. You know, of course, they have the Yale record that they broke from since the 1800s of, you know, beating everybody by, what was it, 20? Yeah, or 20 more, or more. Yeah, in the, in the regular season. Yeah, so my initial knee-jerk reaction to that question would be yes. Yeah, I mean, strictly from the standpoint of 15-0, winning a natty, you know, beating mm-hmm. people like they did, it's just my personal opinion of it yeah. is I would put a separate team ahead of it uh, regardless, but – Again, I can sit here and we can have a 10 minute conversation about why it is. I <laughs> yeah, mean, I'm not yeah. trying to be closed minded like, oh, hell no. They can beat them by 60. They're not the greatest uh, Alabama team ever or one of the greatest of all time. So, no, I actually I appreciate that answer because it's not the one that I expected. So, well, with me, don't ever expect much, period. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, moving on to Clemson, we're, we're going to keep this pretty short. Obviously, the main attraction to this podcast is not me and you. Right. Yeah. So, Clemson against Southeastern Conference opponents. They played two, Texas A&M, South Carolina, obviously. They were pretty shaky at times against those two opponents. Yeah, I believe those two opponents were also uh, the two teams that put the most yardage up against them in the secondary as well. Uh, They were. As you remember, they went to Texas A&M. Kellen Mond, granted, he threw the ball 40 times, but he ended the game with 430 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions, Clemson's defense gave up 501 yards total in that game, and that's with Dexter Lawrence playing. I don't know if you listen to ESPN radio either, but I heard uh, Greg Sankey being interviewed by uh, Mark Packer the other day, and he kind of took a little jab at Clemson about that A&M game and the goal line review with the pylon camera and how he should have made a call uh, to see if they could take a different angle uh, look at it because they may not have been there. But when it comes to uh, their secondary, I think that's obviously their most vulnerable point. Hell, South Carolina at one point in the season wanted Jake Bentley to get the hell out of town. So then in their final game against Clemson, I mean, Jake Bentley just goes out and the dude's kind of calm and cool and puts up five bills and five touchdowns in that game. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking about freaking, you know, South Carolina here. So, yeah. you know, they had a great game plan against uh, Notre Dame. Venerables is a hell of a coach, one of the best assistant coaches in college football. But nobody had a sweet Samoan Prince like we do. And I think uh, he's going to be licking his chops in this game. It does not bode well for them. I mean, like you said, Jake Bentley, 510 yards, five touchdowns, only threw one pick that game. Also, they gave up 111 yards rushing to South Carolina's two backs. 
that just does not bode well for Clemson to me. When I see those two quarterbacks, Tua is not Kellen Mond, who granted is a decent player. He's not Jake Bentley. And he <laughs> has a lot better options to throw to than those guys. And, you know, the other angle of it, too, is you can look at the quarterback situation for Clemson and compare it to the other years past. You don't have a very elite runner, you know, that can extend plays or do RPOs efficiently. He's more of, I guess you would say, a modern statue type quarterback, which I think plays differently in this game as well for the passing game. Is there anywhere on the field where you see Alabama really has no advantage whatsoever? Special teams. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that, that part of that. the game, that does not count. It's a prerequisite for <laughs> yeah. me to have to answer questions like that. Right. Although, Joseph, dude, that, that dude's leg, uh, we need to keep that thing wrapped because he's <laughs> he's been doing really don't, good don't the last say seven it. games. Don't say it. So Take it, uh, with take that, it back. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to take it back. Uh-huh. Uh, let's edit that out then. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but no, you know, I, I think the left tackle position is a prime matchup of two top five, top 10 draft picks and, you know, Khalil Farrell and uh, General Williams going head to head. And honestly, you know, even with Dexter Lawrence not playing, you know, they showed no signs of missing a beat with how deep they are. To me, they're the best and deepest uh, D-line group in the country. And, you know, they shut down Notre Dame pretty well. Notre Dame tried to attack them right in the middle gap, you know, to see if there was going to be any issue. However, Notre Dame does not match up the same way Alabama will. No. Um, and, and I think we're going to see uh, a little bit different type of play calling in this game because I, I feel like we have to establish in the trenches. And that's something that this team has not done consistently in the better part of the last half season, half uh, part of the season. Deontay Brown being out of this game is big. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they can say the same thing with Dexter Lawrence being out for them. The offensive line has looked different with Brown in the game. Well, yeah, it's because it's the first right guard that's worth a damn in five years. So, <laughs> An underrated, I don't know if this is fair to say, underrated part of Clemson's team. I think is their wide receiver, their their group of wide receivers. <laughs> they, they get a lot of love. They get a lot of love, but they're four deep. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Hunter Renfro, who's been there for uh, for an eternity now, and Amari yeah. Rogers, who is T. Martin's son, actually. Oh wow! And, I didn't and, know that. And chose to not go play for his dad or for the hometown Tennessee Volunteers. Amari Rogers played at Knoxville Catholic. Yeah, so with the Renfro thing, I did see Ben Jones tweet out the other day that he has a younger brother who is a walk-on tight end at Clemson this season and will be there through 2021. (laughs) So start drinking for that. Um, And then when it comes to the receiving core, Tom Luganville made a great point the other day. He was talking about, is this the single-game greatest matchup that you can think of of wide receiver talent for the Mm -hmm. next level? Because you look at both these teams' wide receiving cores over the next two to three years, you're talking potentially five to seven first-round draft picks. Wow. The only game that I would put as far in comparison would have been the Alabama Ole Miss game earlier this year. I think those, those are the top three wide receiver units in the country, Alabama, Ole Miss, Clemson, possibly in that order, too. Yeah, you know, look, last year I was a little upset when, you know, the number one player in the state of Alabama, Justin Ross, you know, mm-hmm. left to go to Clemson. And we saw just how a freshman can become a parent to a football program like he did uh, by, you know, making Notre Dame his child. He's uh, anti Higgins on both sides. I mean, you're, you're talking about two guys that are 6'4", 6'5", very, very athletic at high pointing the ball and physical as hell. Yeah, our corner is going to have their work cut out, but again, it's going to be the same way on the other side. And I think both teams, you can't even talk about trying to take a certain weapon away with either offense in this game because they have so many other options that if you try, they're going to burn you some other way. 
All right, before we go, I know that an article drops on Monday at RollBamaRoll.com with everyone who works for the website, their prediction for the game. Let's let's do our predictions on the podcast as well. Now, do you agree with Kirk that this is this reverts back to being a, the nail biter that fifteen and sixteen were, or are you getting a last year sugar sugar bowl vibe again? Well, I'm kind of torn. I'm about 70-30 split with myself, but I'm going to go with my gut. And right now, I think that this game is going to come down to the fourth quarter. It may not be the last two, three minutes in the game, but I do think the last two to three drives that each team has in this game is going to, at that point, produce the, the drive that ends the game. I actually have Alabama right at the spread. I think they could win somewhere in the range of four to seven points. But that little part of me just can't let it go. And I kind of feel like I can see Alabama just in the second half just start dominating Clemson and, you know, win by, you know, double digits in this game. What about you? I can't get Dexter Lawrence missing the game out of my head. I can't get Kellen Mond out of my head. I can't get Jake Bentley out of it. When I was emailed by our editor, what my prediction was, I went bold. I went 42-24. I kind of had some snarky remarks. We had to put together a couple of sentences on why that is our prediction. I, I can't name really many positions where Alabama does not have an advantage. Mm-hmm. No, I'll agree with that. And, and that's something that I keep going back to. Maybe the wide receiver defensive back matchups, potentially. But I don't know that Clemson really, as good as Clemson's wide receivers are, I don't know how clear of an advantage they even have there. Yeah, and you know, the one thing I really need to take into consideration that may sway my opinion before uh, kickoff is the fact that the last week, you know, Coach Saban, the guys, everybody, they've been extra jolly, smiling, happy. <laughs> Hell, even Saban on the one-hour media availability on Sunday stayed an extra 10 minutes. Wow. He probably chewed somebody's ass for letting him stay 10 minutes, but he still did it, and he was smiling. So maybe that's indicative of how this game's going to go. We will find out, though. Times are a-changing. This has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Todd.